This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Well, I want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes on the subject of righteousness. So turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1, which gives us the story of the creation, the account of creation. And I want you to notice in verse 26, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So image and likeness must be two different things. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now, we can say and have said numerous times that it is without dispute. It's one of the great secrets of the church. It's not supposed to be a secret. It should be well known. But we can say without dispute that God created man for one and only one purpose, and that was to have dominion over the earth. God didn't make man because he is lonely. He's God. It's impossible for him to be lonely. He didn't make man because he wanted somebody to have fellowship with, although the fellowship that we have with our Father through the Word and through prayer is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But the stated purpose for God's creation of man was for him to have dominion, authority here in the earth. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, it tells us, gives us a little bit more detail about how man was created. It said, God made him, fashioned him with his own hands, and then breathed in him the breath of life. Now, what did God breathe into man? What did he breathe into Adam? Well, for God to have breathed into him, and it's interesting to me that the Bible is very specific in saying that man's life was a source or came about a result of God breathing into him and he became a living soul. Well, that means that whatever God breathed into man was part of himself. The source of man's life was God himself. Well, what is God? Well, the Bible says God is a righteous judge. So if God breathed himself into man, he breathed into him the purity of the Holy Spirit, the very righteousness of God. The thing I want you to see, folks, is that God intended from the beginning, and remember, God never changes. So God's original intent is this present-day intent. God didn't change his plan. Man wasn't strong enough, nor was the devil strong enough to thwart or detour God's plan. God's original plan His present-day plan, his eternal plan, is for righteous men to have dominion on the earth. Now, we know the story. We know what, uh, what happened. We know that after God made Adam and Eve, he gave them a commandment not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, we can see from what happened. Of course, we know that Adam sinned and Adam fell and all mankind fell. Romans 5, 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man's sin, talking about Adam, one man's transgression, sin entered the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men, for all men have sinned. What that means is Adam's sin covered all of mankind. Now, I used to think, until really pretty recently, that since the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan is the god of this world, that man lost his authority when he sinned and when he fell in the Garden of Eden. But that can't be true. 
Because you remember, even under the old covenant, God said to man that as you've spoken in my ear, so shall I do unto you. And then again, he said, and we're just picking out a couple. There are numerous times where other things were said along this line. But he said, behold, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Well, if man had lost his authority when he sinned in the Garden of Eden, what difference would his choice make? Why would his words be important? They wouldn't. Yeah, but the Bible does say that Satan is the god of this world. Well, the word world, there are three, three different phrases that are used, or three different words that are used when it's talking about the earth. They're all translated world. One of them means the planet. Satan is not the god of this planet. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Another word that's used means eon or time period. Well, Satan is the god of this time period. Another word is used, and it means the world system. Satan's not even god of this world system because you can overcome the curse of this world system by obedience to the word and faith in God. If he had authority over the world system, then it wouldn't matter what you and I did, we'd be at his mercy. Thank God we're not. But the word that's used for when it says that Satan is the god of this world, it means time period. Satan is the god of this world in this current time. In, the, in this and only this sense, he has influence or opportunity to influence man for evil instead of good. But that's all he can do. He can't make you sin. He can't keep anybody out of the kingdom of heaven. It's up to them and it's their choice. So when Adam fell, the Bible tells us, that, the, that their eyes were opened, immediately their eyes were opened, and they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed, and so they made fig leaves and coats and whatever they could to cover up. It's interesting, one translation of that, that verse, where their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked and they were ashamed, one translation of that verse said that they knew what they had done. Now, what happened when man fell? He didn't lose his authority, but he lost his righteous nature. In other words, he lost his confidence to stand before God and to take dominion in the earth. That's what changed. Unrighteousness passed upon all men. The Bible calls that spiritual death. Spiritual death can most easily or most specifically be defined, best defined perhaps, as separation from God. The first thing that happened when Adam and Eve fell, when they sinned, is that they saw their condition and they were ashamed. It says that they heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, as he did every day apparently. And he called out Adam's name, Adam, Adam, where are you? Adam answers back from behind the bushes somewhere, I guess. He said, we saw that we were naked and ashamed and we were afraid. Fear is the first thing that came upon mankind. Fear was the first thing, after realizing his condition, his fallen condition, the first thing that occurred in him was fear. Well, fear is the opposite of confidence. It's the opposite of faith. Where before he stood before God openly, talked to him about all kinds of things. I'm sure God taught him a lot of the things about creation and how things worked. 
Imagine a world without sin and the wonderful things that God could have told him and would have told him about his creation. But fear came in between him and God. Fear kept him from fulfilling God's plan and God's purpose. Now, there are not many, there are not many times early on where the Bible talks about righteousness, but two are very significant. One is concerning Noah. When God appears to Noah before he tells him about the flood, he said, I've seen that you are righteous in my sight. Now, I'm not sure he, how he accomplished that because there was no law to keep. I'm not sure what Noah did to distinguish himself from other men on the earth at that point in time for God to appear to him, tell him about the flood, and make a covenant with him that provided him safety and security for his, himself and his family. The Bible doesn't tell us. But there was something that distinguished Noah from the rest of the people on the earth at that time. Whatever that was, God saw it as righteousness. But the next time that it's used is in Genesis chapter 15, where God appears unto Abram. He's already talked to him about the blessings. He's already made him rich. He's seen his faithfulness. God's seen Abram's faithfulness to do what he's given him to do up to that point. And in Genesis chapter 15, God says, Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And then Abram starts talking to him and he says, well, I don't have a child. You promised me a child years ago and I don't have one yet. So God shows him the stars of the sky and says, how many are those up there? Count them. Well, Abraham can't count them. There's too many to count. And then God says, so shall your seed be as the stars of the sky. So shall your seed be. Genesis 15, 6 says this. It says, and Abram believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. Now, folks, here's something that's, that's vitally important. It's critical that we see and understand. Even under the old covenant, the covenant that God made with Adam, I'm sorry, with Abraham, that was ratified and codified, specific commandments were given later on through Moses. Even the old covenant which the Bible says was designed for one and only one purpose. It was not designed so that man could come to God. It was designed so that man would see that he needed a Savior. It revealed to mankind that he was a sinner. That's it. That's the purpose for the old covenant. God didn't need a set of rules and regulations to come to man. The set of rules and regulations were simply, specifically designed so that man would see I need somebody to help me out here. I can't get to God on my own because no man was able to keep the law. But when Abram, who, Abraham, who was Abram at the time, his name hadn't yet been changed, when God told Abram about his seed and his children number, being, as numbers, being as the stars could be numbered, without number actually, I should say, it says Abram believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. Here's the point I want you to see. Faith is the only way for man to regain his righteous position. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. 
Jesus said the kingdom of God is as a man speaking the word of God into his heart. You exercising your authority in the name of Jesus by whom you have access into the kingdom of heaven to say that for you, you are free from the influence of sickness and disease. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. And notice also this righteousness is attached to authority. I'm going to tell you my opinion on something here. You judge it for yourself. I want to make sure that you know it's my opinion and not specifically stated in Scripture. But I believe that a man's authority can only and will only rise to the level of his understanding of righteousness. I believe the reason the church doesn't operate in the authority that Jesus gave us through his name is because the church has a very limited understanding of what righteousness is and what it's for. Let's look at a couple of scriptures, a couple of things that the Bible says about righteousness to prove my point and see how connected it is with authority. Look with me to Isaiah chapter 54. Here's God talking about mankind and what the place that mankind should have and, and does have now through the work of Jesus. It says in verse 14 of Isaiah 54, In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear. Remember, Adam was afraid when he saw his unrighteous condition. For thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come nigh thee. Now, I want you to notice that word established. The word established literally means to stand upright or erect. <clears throat> it's figuratively used for man standing strong, a position of strength. But one uh, translation is very interesting to me about this. <clears throat> it says it this way. It says, in righteousness shall your rights be known. In righteousness shall your rights be known. We can't stand strong unless you know what your rights are. So much of the church world is weak because they don't know what belongs to them. Wouldn't you agree? So in righteousness shall your rights be known. I like that. Shalt thou be established. Know your rights. Thou shalt be far from oppression. Well, the devil's the oppressor, isn't he? So far from oppression would have to indicate authority over him, over the devil. Thou shalt be far from oppression for or because thou shalt not fear. Now, we don't want to build a doctrine on just one scripture, but we can prove it in numerous ways. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that, that Jesus destroyed him that had the power of death and the fear of death talking about spiritual death, talking about being separated from God. But if we're to accept this literally, as it is interpreted as it is written, then notice it says that oppression is the result of fear. Oppression is the result of fear. You know what would be a good exercise for every believer? 
to spend some time meditating on the fact that we've been delivered from the power of the devil and nothing shall by any means hurt us and tell the devil that we're not afraid of him. Now, the first time you say that, you may say it with a trembling voice. But the more you get used to saying it, the more real it becomes. If you can overcome whatever it is, whatever area it is, that the devil tries to make you afraid, then nothing will ever hold you back. In righteousness thou shalt be established, or know your rights. And thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear. Now, I don't know what you're afraid of or what the devil tempts you to be afraid of, but the devil has something for everybody. There is something or some area that the devil tries to make every one of us afraid. You need to tell him concerning that area, I'm not afraid of you. In righteousness shalt thou be established, thou shalt be far from oppression. For thou shalt not fear, and from terror, far from terror as well. For it shall not come near you. Look at verse 17. No weapon. Everybody say no weapon. He didn't say not many weapons. He said no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. No work of the devil will prosper if you know your righteousness. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. He's talking about the devil. He's talking about speaking to the works of the devil that's trying to bring to pass in your life. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Now, folks, it's, uh, it's easy for us to look back to Adam's fall in the garden and say, man, wouldn't it have been great if he never fell? Wouldn't it be great if all of us were just living in the, according to the world system that the Garden of Eden was operating under? Wouldn't that just be wonderful? Well, in one way, I guess it would. We would never have known sin. But in the second way, the most important aspect of this, in my opinion, is that it would mean that you would have the capability to lose your righteousness by doing the wrong thing. Now, there wouldn't be any temptation in your flesh. There wouldn't be any result of Adam's fall if he never fell. And so it would be a different thing for us to resist sin under those conditions than it is for us now. But there would still be the possibility, the potential for any and every one of us to lose our righteousness based on our own actions. But in the day that we live now, because of the work that Jesus did, you can't lose your righteousness except under the most extreme condition. Why? Because Adam's righteousness was of himself. It was the source of the result of the life of God being breathed into him. But that's why God gave him a commandment not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. His actions, Adam's actions, dictated whether righteousness would rule and reign in his life. And the same would have to be true for you and me if he hadn't fallen. But as it is, because of the work of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the shedding of his precious blood, the life that he gave for man to be free, you can't lose that except under the most extreme condition. 
Now look back to Adam. Imagine what Adam was doing when he fell and their eyes were opened. They saw that things had changed. They saw they understood then what they had done. And they're hiding themselves from God for fear. Folks, that's Satan's ultimate goal is for you to hide from God because of fear. The first thing they recognized was that they were unworthy to stand in God's presence. So they hid themselves in the, among the trees. But because Jesus has come and died for us, we can get out in the open again. Because our righteousness is not of ourselves. It's of him. Well, what, did, what does it mean when it says it's of him? It means the righteousness that we have because of the finished work of Jesus is just like God is, never changing and eternal. Look with me to chapter 41 of Isaiah. Let's see something else it says. Notice righteousness is connected in those verses in chapter 54 with the authority that man has. Verse 10 Isaiah 41, verse 10, it says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. The word dismayed means to be distracted. Don't get distracted, for I am thy God. Now, what he means is distracted by sin, distracted by the works of the devil, and so forth. But he says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. So when you feel weak, that's not a big deal. God said he'll strengthen you. When you feel helpless, that's not a big deal, because God said I'll help you. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So again, he's talking about being free from fear and free from the one that has the power of death through fear because he's on your side, because he's with you, because he's for you, because you're part of his family. Now, Paul had a hard time reconciling some of these things to himself. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. I love the book of Romans because we get the most personal glimpse of Paul's life and Paul's Christian journey of any of the other letters. And interestingly enough, Romans was written to, to people that he had not yet ministered to. He'd wanted to come to them several times but hadn't gotten there. But he had heard of the churches that had been started in Rome, houses in Rome, and so forth. And so he wanted to make sure that they had the benefit of the revelation that he received from the Lord about who we are in Christ and what belongs to us. And I think it's for that reason that he gives us a closer glimpse or understanding, a closer look into his life and into his own progress in the things of God than any of the other letters that he wrote to the churches. And I'm, I, I really don't think we can overemphasize how important that is. Because without the book of Romans, we'd look at Paul as the guy that God just snatched away from the work of the enemy and made him one of his generals, one of his leaders of the body of Christ. And it'd be easy to think of him as never having a problem. It's kind of like Joseph in the Old Testament. I love the story of Joseph, but I can't identify with him. Because the closest thing you can come to anything Joseph ever did wrong was telling his brothers and his mother and father about his visions. Well, how do you relate to a guy that that's it? 
You just see God taking from difficult situation to prosperity to, to promotion and so forth. I have a harder time relating to Joseph than I do to David. David, I understand. And the reason I understand is because I understand and see the truth of his failures. Joseph, not so much. Well, Paul would be in that same category. Because if he didn't tell us about the difficulties that he had with his Christian life, then we would just have to assume that once Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, revealed himself to him, he received his sight three days later and was filled with the Holy Ghost, that everything was straight into the blessing of God from that point without any difficulty. But he tells us in the book of Romans about his own struggles. Now he tells us some things that we know. Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 17, he says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one. He's talking about Adam's sin and uh, how that caused spiritual death to pass upon all men. For if by one man's offense, or since by one man's offense, that's what the word if here means. There are four different words in the um, Greek language that are translated if. The first one is uh, literally the word since, or the meaning is since, and that's the one that's used here. Since one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. Notice the connection between authority and righteousness. Shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Shall reign in life. Now this is an interesting thing because it tells us that there's something about grace and righteousness that gives us authority. Well, if that's true, and we know it is, then the church operating in a lack of authority or a low level of authority would mean that there's something about the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness that we haven't yet taken hold of. Well, if that's true in my life, I want to fix it. Don't you? So he says, for if by one man, since one man's sin, one man's offense, caused death to reign, much more, this phrase much more is used several times in the writings of Paul, and it means it's so farther, it's so higher, much higher than the other that they really shouldn't be compared. Well, we know it's true that death reigned by Adam's sin, but it's way, 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 way more true. That's what much more means. So much higher that it shouldn't even be in, used in comparison. Much more they that receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Paul understood this. Paul received this by revelation so he knew it had to be true. Skip with me down to verse 21. Let's see something else that the Holy Ghost revealed to him. He says that as sin has reigned, well, back up to verse 20. We'll start with that, get a little context. He said, moreover, the law entered, talking about the law of Moses. The law entered that the offense might abound. That just simply means that man would know he had no chance by doing it on his own. He could not do it on his own. He had to have somebody pay his fine and provide strength and power for his Christian walk. One of the prayers that Paul prayed for the church as he was inspired by the Holy Ghost to pray was that God would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. There's nothing greater than to know who you are in Christ, what belongs to you because of Jesus' sacrifice, and what God's plan and purpose for your life really is. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb.
Bible says the righteous man falls seven times and gets up again each time. It does not say a righteous man doesn't fall. See, the stumbling and falling is not the issue. It's getting back up again that is. You've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.